Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. As you gear up for whitetail season, we're in our Deer 101 series. As you're gearing up for whitetail season, I would highly recommend you to look at Scentlock. Inside of their BE1 toolkit, they've got everything you need to get from early season to late season and tools that are really just functional for the bow hunter. So I would highly recommend you to check out the BE1 toolkit. I would highly recommend you to check out all of Scentlock's line because in my opinion, what sets them apart is their uh, carbon technology for maximum odor absorption, uh, which is really what's going to give you that upper hand in the whitetail woods. So I would highly recommend you to check out our friends over at Scentlock. I am joined by Brian Grossman of the National Deer Association. Brian, how are you, man? Doing well, man. How how are you? Man, I am absolutely wonderful. <laughs> We're getting close to to deer season. That's I right. leave in about three weeks for elk. Um, and so we're in that crunch time. I just got done shooting my bow. Of course, it's 102 here in Kansas, so that sucked. <laughs> yeah. But just got done shooting about five minutes before we jumped on the phone. And so we're just in that exciting time, man, that exciting uh, period of, of gearing up. Absolutely. Now, you are the communications manager there at the NDA, which if you guys don't know, that's the National Deer Association, previously known as uh, QDMA quality deer management association. Reason I say that is because I want to ask you a question about that, but, um, how'd you get to the national deer association? What, 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 what journey took you there? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of a, an odd deal. I guess my, my background is actually wildlife management. Uh, I got a wildlife degree from Murray state university there in Western Kentucky and, uh, did that for, Heck, I guess about 15 years, um, a lot of public land management for both the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. But uh, along the way, I was I was interested in doing some um, some freelance writing, outdoor writing. I've been doing that for a little while. Um, I for years since I first discovered the internet, you know, back in college, and it, I, I've been messing with websites and doing that part of it. Um, was active on social media. So kind of in the background while I was doing my, my day job doing wildlife management, I'd been learning all these, these kind of communication skills, online communication and, uh, and the opportunity to come along to, uh, work for the, the, what was at that time, the quality deer management association. And I just, uh, I jumped on it. It was, uh, right at, I guess seven. Yeah. This month, that'll be seven, seven years ago. So I've been, awesome. uh, been with them ever since. And and enjoying it thoroughly well let me just say i've heard nothing but good things about you i uh i called one of my friends brian murphy um which we we don't have much good things to say about him but um <laughs> i called brian and i'm like hey dude is this a guy i, I need to get with and he's like oh absolutely 100 percent um which speaking of brian so today's episode we're in episode two of our deer 101 series Brian, the uh, the premise behind this this nine part series is to teach somebody from the ground up how to be a whitetail hunter. Um, I also want to have this as a tool set that people can take and help teach people how to be a whitetail hunter. So mm -hmm. if there's a father out there listening, they can take uh, kind of the dumbed down version of whitetail hunting that we're going to portray and then teach it to their kids. Uh, teach it to a, a a kid in their neighborhood or or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the premise behind this. This is episode two. We're going to talk about scouting, how, when, why, tools to scout with, um, 
how to implement your scouting. And then next episode, episode three, uh, we're actually going to talk about where to hunt. So you've you've scouted the property. Uh, now, where do you hunt? And that's where Brian Murphy comes in. Uh, okay. And we're going to talk about how to implement our scouting tools into where to hunt. So I'd highly recommend you to jump in next week uh, to episode three um, as a follow-up to this one uh, when we talk about scouting, because next week we're going to talk about how to implement those scouting um, outings into uh, where to actually hunt. So. Um, Brian, let's start by when to scout. Now that's very general um, because you know I believe scouting starts last season. Um, but but I I do want to talk about that though. I I want to kind of paint this picture. Um, you're scouting a property that you have history with, on one hand, and then on another hand, we're scouting a property we've never seen before. Uh, we have no idea what what's on the property uh we maybe we just gained access to it maybe it's private land public ground but but either way we don't have any history with the property because i believe that plays a difference in the way that i scout um you know if Absolutely. if i have a, a 10 year history with the property i might not have to start from the ground up you know i i know where the deer bed i know where so let's let's dive into kind of each of those categories a, a new piece of ground and an old piece of ground but when does your scouting start well, kind of like you said there, I guess really, um, I, I love, I love the whole scouting process, um, have been yeah for forever, but the last four or five years, I've really, really gotten into it even more so than ever before to, to the point to where man, I, I almost enjoy it. And I say almost uh, as much as the hunt itself. And so it's really a year round deal. Um, I, I do a lot of public land hunting and I'm fortunate to have access to uh, quite a bit of acreage here and in, in the short drive uh, from where I live. So, um, there's always property to be scouted. So really, I guess it, the, the start is like you said there, I, I'm starting as soon as the season ends preparing for that next season. And, you know, a lot of times that's, um, but, and, and I like that time of year because, everything's still pretty fresh and visible yeah um not only do i still have those memories fresh in my mind of what i seen during deer season you know how the deer behave where they came from where they went that kind of information that'll help me as i get out there and scout but the sign's still visible too you know those those rubs are easier to find the scrapes are still visible out there the trails are beat down you know during that that winter time of year so sometimes even more so yeah. Uh, like if yeah. you look at right now, if I start trying to scout a property right now in Kansas, it's incredibly dry. The ground is, is bone <laughs> hard, but if I'm doing it in winter, there's still snow melting off. It's muddy. It's nasty. I can see tracks in the Creek bank perfectly and see where they're going to, where they're coming from. I can see, you know, all of that stuff. So, so sometimes even more so it's, it's yeah. more beneficial in that late season. Yeah, absolutely. The leaves are off the trees. You know, everything, like you said, it's just, it's just more visible that time of year, easier to pick that stuff out. Now, how do you, cause here's a, a big question and I don't really, again, I don't want to get into the where to hunt side of things, but when it comes to scouting, how does what you remember from last year and what you noted from last year determine your scouting process at the beginning of this year? And what I mean by that is, you know, just because you know, if I've got 40 acres and they were bedded in the back corner of that 40 all year last year, it doesn't mean they're going to be bedded there this year. Um, so I can remember and note, man, every deer was bedded in that back seven acres last year on that back Northwest corner, whatever. Um, but maybe they're not this year. So how does what you remember and what you noted from last year get you started with the the new year of scouting? If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there. The one thing that is constant is is change and yeah. that there's um you know that that goes for deer hunting as well. Uh food sources are changing, cover is changing over time, hunting pressure can change. So yeah, you can't rely solely on that uh, for sure. But again, I I'm I'm using that after the season's over. I'm I'm taking what I kind of witnessed during the season and this is particularly true if maybe you haven't been hunting the property long. If if you have a 10-year history with the property, then you're probably going to know a lot of this. It's it's going to be stuff right. you've seen before along the way. But uh, if not, you know, I'm, I may note that, hey, you know, I was kind of expecting the deer to come from this way. But every time I saw 
you know, that, that good buck last year, he, he came from this way instead, or, or he was headed off in this direction. And so when I get out there after the season, I'm going to kind of use that opportunity to explore to maybe get into areas that, that I normally wouldn't get in during the season where I thought they might be bed and that kind of stuff. But, but I'm going to kind of just keep that stuff in the the forefront of my mind, the, the things I witnessed during the, the course of the season and just kind of get out there and try to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And that, and that's all it is. You're just trying yeah. to every year you're building on that knowledge base. You're just trying to figure out, um, you know, what these deer are doing, how they're using the lay of the land, the property, what they're feeding on, where they're bedding, that kind of stuff. And and like you said, it, it's changing. So it's not something you can just go out there and do one right. time and, and be able to hunt the property for the next 20 years and, and know exactly what they're going to do. Because as soon as you think you got them figured out, they'll, yeah. they'll change up and fool you real quick. Perfect example. A property that I hunt, I, I have 10 years of history with this property. No, eight. I have eight years of history with this property. I know it like the back of my hand. One season I go out and I start some preseason, really just inventory taking, um, just, just trying to figure out what has made it, what has not. And the deer were completely different. They were coming from different directions. They were coming at different times of day. Then the last seven years of, of hunting history with this property. And I'm like, dude, what in the heck? And so I pull up hunt wise and I'm like trying to look at the maps and I'm like, okay, I don't see anything different. Of course, those don't update every few months. And so I'm like, what in the heck, man? I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And, and so I just start driving around to other properties around the property. And one of the neighbors had built a massive, massive pond. And I'm like, well, there you go. Um, like it completely changed everything about the way my deer acted because instead of going through my property, to get to water, they were having water first before they ever came. Like it just changed everything about the way this property hunted. And so you have to, have to, have to. I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times guys get frustrated because they fall into hunting memories of a property rather than hunting what the deer are actually doing. Oh, yeah. And they say, well, last year they all came from this direction. Now, now I just keep, now I keep getting busted by the wind because they're coming from another direction and I can't, well, pull out of the property completely and figure out where they're coming from now, where are they going to now? What's changed about the property? What's different about the property? Because sometimes we fall into this rut of like, well, they've always came from this way. Well, it doesn't mean they're always going to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, sometimes it may be something that in your example there, that's not even, it didn't change necessarily on the property you were hunting, but it changed on a neighboring property and it completely impacted what the deer were doing where you hunt. So yeah, sometimes yeah. you just got to step back and, and take a broader, a bigger picture, look at things and and see, cause man, it, it doesn't take a lot of change too to switch those deer up. You know, one, one year, uh, cover can be great in an area and the deer can be bedding in it. And just the growth from that, that next year, it may change things completely. They may not want to bed in there anymore or, or food yeah. sources change, you know? So Absolutely. It's, it's a constant process. And that's why, and I know we'll probably get into this, but you know, in season scouting is probably as important, if not, or it's probably, it's more important in my mind than, than the out of season scouting, because you got to know what to do the deer doing at that given point in time it's great to get out here and scout all year and learn the lay of the land and and kind of figure out what the deer have done in the past but again just like you've said there you got to know what they're doing the day you're that out time. there hunting yeah. you know or otherwise you might not even be in the ball game yeah and that's why guys like the hunting public are so successful because they're Absolutely. not afraid to take moves they're not afraid to make moves and and do different things which um, they're going to be on the next episode, uh, episode four of how to prepare for a whitetail hunt. So, um, they're not afraid to make moves and they'll see, man, we thought all the deer were coming up this trail. That's the seventh buck we've seen coming up that trail. They'll get out and climb out right then and there and move over yeah. and shoot a deer. Um, and sometimes we, as whitetail hunters, we fall into that like Midwest, like I can't get out of my tree stand, you know, <laughs> that, no, yeah. that mentality. Um, before we move on, I got to give a quick thank you to my friends over at Aero Junkie. Aero Junkie is a one-stop shop for everything you need to build your own arrows. All of the tools that you need to build your own arrows. They also have some incredibly cool swag, which I actually happen to be wearing one of their uh, cool Sasquatch dragon, a deer with a 
uh, recurve in his hand. So they've got some really cool apparel, some really cool tools to build your own arrows. All of the all of the components you need, all the all the shafts and all the saws and all the uh, the jigs, everything you need to build your own arrows. So go check out arrowjunkie.com. Um, I told you I wanted to talk QDMA. So before we get back to scouting, I got a question for you. I believe it was a QDMA article that changed my life forever. It was talking about peeing from your tree stand. <laughs> I talk often. Not I haven't talked about it in a while on this podcast. I used to talk often on this podcast about peeing from your tree stand. And not only how it doesn't hurt you, but how I feel as though it benefits you. Um, and, and the article from QDMA was that basically premise behind it is at the moment that you urinate and the moment a deer urinates, it's 70 some odd percent of ammonia. Um, and then within, you know, seven minutes, it's a hundred percent ammonia. So after seven minutes, all that deer can smell is that something peed here. Doesn't know if it was a human, doesn't know if it was a deer, something peed here. Um, and so I started peeing from my tree stand, you know, my whole life I was a pee in a bottle kind of guy and that just sucks. Um, because then you got pee all over everything anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I started even promoting peeing from your tree stand and the responses I got were outrageous. I would get emails all the time. I would get messages on Instagram all the time. Dude, I peed from my tree, shot a shot a buck seven minutes later. Dude, I peed from my tree, shot one, you know, 12 minutes later, whatever. It was outrageous. The amount of response I got. So is there any truth behind this as a, as an NDA, uh communications manager can you communicate to me that's how i'm going to spin that on you so you have there to you go <laughs> can you communicate to me that there's any truth behind peeing from your tree stand well i i'll be honest i'm not familiar with that article but you know we do it was have, a while ago we do have over a thousand articles on our website so we got a lot of content on there and so i i can't speak to the science behind that but what i can tell you is you know, well, I do pee from my tree stand. Uh, I don't have, I wish I had a story of, of a big buck coming in and shooting it right after I peed out of my stand. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have one of those, but what I do have is a lot of anecdotal evidence from, yeah. I'm a big believer in mock scrapes. Uh, like I yeah. said, I, oh, yeah. I hunt a lot of public ground. So, you know, I can't go out there and, and dump a bag of corn or any kind of attractant to, to hang a trail camera on. So, you know, you have to rely on other stuff. And and one of those things is, is mock scrapes and I'll make a mock scrape. And, and I have, you know, this time of year and, uh, you know, just dig out a place there in, in the dirt, you know, the leaves and make sure you got a good licking branch there. And I'll pee right in that mock scrape. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten pictures that very same day that evening, you know, put out a mock yeah. scrape that day oh, yeah. and have pictures of a, of a good buck on it that evening. So I, in my mind, yeah, that I don't believe they can distinguish between human pee and, and other animals. And uh, it certainly doesn't seem to deter them, if not, you know, attract them having right. that having that fresh urine scent and that and that scrape. But, oh, absolutely. Biggest deer I've shot to date. I peed it. It was a community scrape, giant scrape, um, you know, several hanging branches over, you know, the, uh, big and I peed in the tree on my way or I peed in the, uh, in the scrape on my way in and, uh, and maybe, maybe 23 minutes later, 24 minutes later, I ended up shooting a giant. I mean, just a, a giant <laughs> nice. and he went right to that scrape. Um, and he was ticked, you know, he, you could tell like he's fired up in a big way. Um, now I think it benefits you too. all they smell is that something has been in this area in the last few minutes, in the last 30 minutes. Something has been in this area, especially in the rut. Something has been here. Um, I can't, I know it's pee. I know it's, I mean, it smells just like pee. That's, again, after X amount of minutes, I don't remember the exact science behind it, but X amount of minutes, it's 100% ammonia. All they know is that something peed there. But also, here's what I think people don't uh, think about. The sound. I've had bucks come in while I'm peeing from my tree. All they hear is something peeing. All they hear is pee hitting the ground. They don't know if it's me. They don't know if it's if it's a doe. They don't know. They All they hear is something is peeing on the ground. And they come in while I'm peeing. It's happened so many times. 
I, I remember thinking like the first time, like, oh crap, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> and, and then I, you know, then I got to where I'm just like, well, I'm just going to keep peeing. They don't, all they know is that there's pee hitting the ground. Like they just, and so man, I, I promote it. I'm like, I, I literally try and pee as many times as I can while I'm hunting because <laughs> it makes stuff happen. Like I don't, it makes stuff happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I'm like you for years. I carried around the pee bottle and man, there's nothing worse than having a pee bottle yeah. in your pack, especially when you your forget it in your backpack for a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is freeing just being able to, to go out of the stand and especially yeah, like when you, you when you get kids and then they think it's apple juice in your truck. Later oh on. no. <laughs> yeah. All right. So how do you implement, um, we've talked about scouting last season, like remembering what happened last season. Remember what you saw last season, really the first thing that you're going to start doing after that is shed hunting. Um, how do you implement, how do you use the sheds that you find? How does that, how does that incorporate into your scouting process for, for, I want to kill the deer that dropped these. How does that implement your scouting process? Yeah, that, that one's kind of tough. Um, I mean, obviously the one thing it tells you is say hey, th this deer survived the season, you know, he's, he's out there somewhere, you know, that he was using that area, um, late in the season, obviously that was, that was where he was, was hanging out. Doesn't tell you a lot of information as far as where he, where he might've been early season. Um, that, but it helps narrow it down. You know, you know, that he's using that area or he was using that area in, in late winter. It's part of his home range. Um, you know, depending, it obviously varies greatly from buck to buck, but you have, you have a general idea anyway of, of, you know, where it's part of his home range is. So from there, it's just using, you know, other scouting techniques, um, trail cameras, that kind of stuff to really try to pinpoint him down and, and maybe figure out where he's at. But, you know, like I said, you do know where he's at late season. Maybe, maybe that's his go-to spot because the pressure had been on all season, depending on, you know, the property you were hunting and whether or not it, it was getting a good bit of pressure. Uh, it might give you a, a hint there of, of where he's going once the pressure's on, but you still gotta, you still gotta scout and, and find him because he may be, you know, a mile from there early season, but, but you know, he's there, you know, he's alive. I'm really glad you said that. That was a trick question because I, I, I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to, I hate it when people like find a shed and they're like, I got you. Or, you know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, no, you're far from getting him. All that does for me is tell me the deer I want to know are still around. Right. Um, and like you said, the biggest change in my opinion is early season to late season. So what I can remember and what I can note is that, hey, I found this buck late season in this area. So if I want to kill him, I'm going to wait till late season. And I'm going to start hunting him in this area. Now, yeah. the reason that changes so incredibly much, especially in the Midwest where farming is, is prevalent. Dude, if there's a bean field planted over there early season, those deer are there early season, no doubt. But if they're here and if, if I've got winter wheat, now I know why that buck was here late season. And so, you know, if, if the farmer's going to throw up winter wheat again, and then come January, that wheat's going to be popping up, dude, that's where that buck's going to be. Um, so I think it changes so much, but I, I did want to ask you that because so many people like bank on where they found sheds, like bank on, oh, I got to move my sets over here because I just found the shed for that dude over here. No, that's not no. how that works. No. Um, now, what are some of the, you mentioned trail cameras. What are some of the tools you use to scout? Uh, the big one for me, of course, is a, man, a, a mapping app is a lifesaver. Um, I use Onyx. There's, you know, a lot of different ones out there, but man, if, if it weren't for that, I, I would never remember where anything was. Um, because I, I, like I said, I like to scout year round and I've, I guess it's good and bad. I've gotten into the habit where I mark everything. I mean, I mark everything I find. And so if, if it weren't for that mapping app, like I said, I couldn't keep up with everything. You know, I've, in the past, I can remember, you know, pre on X, I would go out there and scout late season or, or in the spring or whatever, find all this stuff. And then season would roll around. And, you know, I think, where was that, 
where was that scrape line I found, you know, postseason or, or where did I pick up that shed or, you know, whatever the case may be, I wouldn't remember half of the, the intel that I gathered. So uh, now you know, I make sure uh, everything, like I said, I put it on there, whether it's, you know, a random white oak or red oak that I found out near some cover or, you know, a, a persimmon tree or uh, rubs, whatever it is, I, I mark it on, on, on X. And then I can come back and start kind of look at it from, you know, that, that 30,000 foot view and try to put those pieces together, you know, okay. There was some, there were some rubs over here. There was a scrape line here. There's some red oaks that they were hitting, you know, over in this area. And just, you know, again, it's just all pieces of the puzzle trying to figure out what these deer are doing and, and when they're using the different areas during their course of the season. So that that's the, the biggest thing. And I've always got that, that tracking feature on anytime I'm out there walking around, so I can go back again and see exactly where I scouted, where I didn't, that kind of thing. Um, you know, where I can I can kind of fill in those voids and maybe hit spots after I've I've been out there a few times and and see the spots I missed and uh, the spots I didn't and that kind of thing. So that's a uh, an extremely extremely useful tool uh, for for scouting. Yeah, absolutely. Now I get asked that all the time. Uh, I get asked, why do you choose Huntwise? Um, well, that's a pretty simple answer. I choose HuntWise because they offer some incredible discounts inside the maps. <laughs> I think all the maps, um, are pretty much the same. All maps are really good. Um, I use Onyx for different features. I use base map for different things. I use, um, you know, you name it, but I like HuntWise the best because once you purchase the membership, it pays for itself in discounts. Um, you can get stellar discounts to um, Scentlock, for instance, uh, but but tons of different products you can get big discounts on. That's why I choose them. So uh, all mapping systems work really well. Um, they all serve their purpose. Um, I use features from each. Um, but yeah, so you're absolutely right. There are tons of them and they all work great. Now. One thing that you mentioned there, you mentioned uh, trees and, and you know, different terrain features, which are a tool for scouting, in my opinion. If I look at a property and I see, oh, there's a creek right here, that's one of my biggest scouting tools. If I look at a property and I say, man, there is one really high vantage point that I can get to on this property and see the whole thing, that's a scouting tool. Um, listen, at my in-laws, when they've got the rows of hay out there, that's my biggest scouting tool because I can sit up there and see everything. I can see everywhere the deer come from and go to. That's a scouting tool. So I always start. Let, let's dive into your early season scouting, preseason scouting. I always start by looking at a map, by looking at an Onyx, uh, a HuntWise, a Go Hunt, a Hunt Stand, you name it. Um I always start by looking at one of those and seeing where should I start with boots on the ground? I want to save time. I don't want to go out there and walk around the whole property and try to look for, you know, walk 10 miles to, to say, oh, the creek was back here. I could have just started there. Anyways, so I start with that. I start with looking on that. And then it grows from there. So preseason, Brian, where does your scouting process start? How does it start? Well, I'm the same way. I, I, man, it's ridiculous how much time I spend staring at, <laughs> at those mapping apps, you know, always looking for that overlooked spot, you know, that place I've missed somewhere along the way. But yeah, I, I'm, I use that before I ever step foot on a property just to help me kind of narrow down my efforts once I get out there, boots on the ground. Because uh, again, I'm hunting mostly public land. Some of these properties are several thousand acres. You know, I, I wish I could get out there and learn the whole property in a season, but that's not going to happen. So I, I try to narrow it down to the places I think, ha, you know, would produce the best opportunity for, for getting on deer. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking for, you know, any types of, of converging habitat or those transition zones, uh, like a lot of people call them, you know, places where two or more habitat types come together. Uh, deer are creatures of edge, so they'll they'll use those different habitat types and and travel along those edges. Uh, I'm looking for any kind of any kind of thick cover on there because that's where the deer are gonna you know be bedding typically. And and here in the southeast, a lot of times that's looking for 
you know, clear cuts, places that have been been logged or thinned heavily, um, overgrown fields, that kind of thing, uh, making notes of, of that type of habitat. Uh, and then, you know, there's different train features you can look for as well. Um, things like, you know, saddles or, or low spots in a, uh, in a ridge or a, a low spot where two ridges meet uh, those tip traditional saddles. You hear a lot of people talk about that, but still think those are, those are great locations. Not necessarily every one of them, but, the, but they can be good, uh, good spots to ambush a deer, um, places where maybe multiple ridges or ridge fingers all kind of converge into one drainage i've heard that referred to as a, a crow's foot or a travel hub but um, those type of train features can be can be great places to key in on and I, i'm just marking spots on the map and so i can get out there and, and put boots on the ground and actually look at it and see if the signs there you know once i get out there a lot of times the places that i think look just jam up on the map you'll get out there and it won't be what you had hoped it was going to be but maybe 200 yards from there you you find that spot you know so it's it's never just okay these are the 10 spots i'm going to go out there and kill a deer in one of these but it it just narrows it down you know i just look for those features that would attract deer that that can narrow down my my boots on the ground scouting yeah now one thing and i don't want to contradict you and i don't even want to contradict myself let me just note this we are saying we start with those terrain features. So many times guys get st stuck in their head. Well, this is a, this is a, a Creek running into a, I, I have to hunt here. There's a, it's a natural pinch point. I have to, hunt. this is where they're at. <laughs> and then they see deer crossing over here every day that they hunt. And they're like, no, 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 no. This, you know, they, they, they get stuck on the terrain features. That's where we start is what we're saying. Don't get stuck in. Well, on paper, this is where the deer should be. On paper, this is exactly where I should be hunting. Because like we've talked about, deer are completely different. Uh, I mean, they're, they literally are a different animal. Um, and so you have to adapt and you cannot get stuck in your ways of this is where they all were last year. Or on paper, I listened to a podcast that Dylan and Brian and they said, you know, <laughs> different terrain features. And this is that's what I'm looking at you still have to look at where the deer are coming from and where the deer are going. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and Hey, listen, there's been times, Brian, where I've sat in a spot and, and I've had buddies like come by and they're like, you know, be on my property. And they're like, dude, that's where you set up at the dude. There's a ridge right up here that deer. Will be, and I'm like, you don't know my property. Like, yeah, I know there's a ridge right up there, but I've shot four deer here in the last four years. Like this is where the deer are at. And so you just have to look at your property. Where are the deer at? Be ready to adapt, be ready to change, um, and, and make those moves. Now, um, boots on the ground. When you get boots on the ground, um, how do you start implementing your your what you saw and found on Onyx? How do you start implementing those things? The biggest thing that I do is I, I just find the highest place on the property, uh, observation set. And, and you know, like I said, sometimes that's a, 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 a corn, not corn. Sometimes that's a hay bale sitting on top of a hay bale with a pair of binoculars and just watching for an evening or a morning and seeing where they're coming from and where they're going. But I absolutely, uh, for me, uh, observation sits are, in, are, are the most valuable thing I can do way away from all the deer. I'm not going to, I'm not going to booger them. I'm not going to, they're not going to smell me. They're not going to see me. They're not going to know I'm in the area and I can watch them. And I can just see where they're going and where they're coming from. Uh, sometimes it's on a different property. Sometimes it's, it's you know, getting 500 yards away on a different property and sitting on some dude's water tower or silo or something. But again, I get far enough away to not booger up any deer and I can see where they're coming from and where they're going. Um, noting, and, and, and I might look at through my binoculars and see where they're coming from, where they're going, pull up my maps and say, oh, yeah, I marked a creek back in there. That's where they're coming out of there at. Um, or, oh, yeah, he found that, you know, acorns. We found acorns back there last year. That's exactly where they're coming out on that point at. So on and so forth. So I'll look through my binoculars, see where they're coming from, where they're going, pull up my map, see what I've marked, what I've noted, um, and then piece it all together. Um but after you've looked at your maps, what, what are the first steps you begin to take in scouting a property? 
Well, I usually, I'll try to have, by the time I head out there, boots on the ground, I'll, I'll try to have a handful of spots that I've picked out from the map. You know, again, looking, looking at the habitat features, terrain features. Uh, I'm looking at access stuff too on public land. Obviously, I don't want to be right there hunting by the access. Well, I, I, that depends if the access is getting overlooked. But in most cases, I, I'm not going to be, you know, hunting a, a food plot 200 yards from the, the parking area because yeah. that's where everybody and their brother is going to be, you know. So I, that factors in as well. I'm trying to get off, yeah. get off the beaten path and, and get away from the pressure. But so I've got these spots picked out. I've marked them. And, and like I mentioned earlier, very rarely do I get out there, walk to one of those spots and think, yep, this is it. This is where I need to hang. Yeah, hundred percent. A but, lot of times it's the opposite. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Oh, never mind. This isn't what I thought it was. And that's yeah, fine. Yeah. And that's okay too. If you can eliminate some spots and yeah. then you're one step closer to, to kind of figuring things out. So yeah, I'll hit those, I'll hit those spots as kind of my starting locations. See if it's what I was hoping it would be. And then I just kind of go from there, um, deter de or, uh, based on what I see in that spot, you know, I, I might get there. Maybe it looked thick on the map and I get there and it wasn't as thick near as thick as I thought it was right. going to be at ground level. Um, so for that way point, thicker. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I can't even get in here. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just explore from there, you know, if there's trails or something I can follow, I, I just start, or I might, you know, depending on if my other spots are in walking distance from there. You know, I might just go from one to the other, but, but I just kind of spread out from there and start, start walking, you know, looking for the, the sign that, that I want to find, I'm looking for, you know, good cover. I'm making note again of everything, but I, I'm looking for potential food sources for depending on when I'm thinking I might hunt this area. Um, whether that's again, you know, soft mass like persimmons or muscadines down here in the South, or, you know, whether I'm noting red oaks and white oaks and that kind of stuff in the area, not a lot of agriculture where I'm at here in West central Georgia, um, you know, some, some food plots scattered here and there, but, but not the big ag fields that you might encounter in the Midwest. So that's not really in play for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm taking all that, that stuff into consideration. I'm not necessarily at this point, I'm not worried about fresh sign. Again, like we were talking about earlier, the, the fresh sign you need on the day you're hunting it, or, you know, when you go in there to hunt it, that's when you're looking for that fresh sign. At this point, I'm just learning. I'm learning the lay of the land. I, I'm learning where the cover is, where the food sources are. Uh, you know, if I can see some deer trails or, or that kind of thing, then, then that's great too. But again, um, you know, it could be a, a trail that they're absolutely wearing out at the time I'm scouting it. And it may not be worth, you know, a dang once deer season rolls in. So you just have to keep that, keep that in mind. But, you know, initially I'm just, I'm learning, I'm learning the property, I'm learning the terrain, the habitat, that kind of thing. And then I'm, I'm trying to kind of put the pieces in of, of how the deer may be using that at any given point in the season. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, I think one of the biggest things is is being able to quickly um, adapt and change and and make moves. And you know, a, a perfect example is that exactly what you just said is sometimes we like show up to a property and we're like, no, wait, this is where I need to be. Like this is I I could tell this is what needs to happen, and it's just not what needs to happen at the time. Um, and so we just have to be able to quickly adapt in those, in those times, um, during season, as you begin hunting, as seasons start opening up, you cannot lose the mindset of, of scouting and understanding your deer. Now I know my primary focus is that hunt. My primary focus is killing deer. My primary focus is, being still and being quiet and waiting, but I'm always observing deer. I'm always observing where are they coming from? Where are they going? What are they doing? How are they acting? I had no idea that the prominent wind in this area was South. And now that I've sat out here for, you know, two weeks or a month, 90% of the time it's a South wind. So I have to change everything about what I do. You have to continue to observe what's going on around you. So. As you're hunting, what things are you looking for in order to 
better pursue the deer. Yeah, th- this is something that I've really had to work on the last few years. And you mentioned the hunting public guys earlier, and that, that definitely it's something I've picked up from them, among other other folks that other hunters who are much better than I am that I've learned from along the way. But it's just all about that most recent sign. It's about the the fresh sign. You got to stay on that the whole season long because just like you were talking about earlier, man, for years and years I was so bad about. You know, I do my scouting and I'd find this place that in my mind was the perfect spot. You know, maybe there's good cover, there's food source. This is where the deer are going to be. And so I would just wear that spot out with the mentality that sooner or later, a good one's going to come through here. You know, this is too good of a spot. If I just sit here long enough, something, something good is going to come through here. Right. And, and that can work on occasion, but you know, you're much better off to get out there and constantly be looking for that fresh shine. If there's not fresh shine there, the deer aren't using it. Why are you going to waste to sit there? And so, you know, I've tried to get a lot better about scouting, you know, scouting don't end when the season starts, you got every hunt, you should be kind of scouting your way in. You can have a spot in mind where you're going to go. That's fine. But, you know, let the sign dictate whether or not you get to that spot. You might find great sign before you ever get to the place you intended to hunt. Or you might get all the way to the place you intended to hunt and you're just not seeing the sign. There's no, you know, there's no fresh tracks. I don't see any droppings, any, they haven't been feeding under this oak tree that I really thought they'd be feeding under, man, you just, and and this is hard for me because you always have that drive. You want to get in a tree, you know, especially in the, if you're hunting in the evening and you see, you see the clock ticking, you think, man, it's going to be dark here in a few hours. I got to get in a tree, but I really, I think you're better off. Even if you have to burn the whole hunt, you're better off to keep moving and keep looking for that that most recent sign, that fresh sign to tell you, hey, this is where the deer are at now. And if you can't find it, man, just, um, you know, like I said, you might have to burn a hunt and and try plan B the next day, you know, go somewhere different and, until you can find that spot. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, you talk about burning days. One of the biggest lessons I learned, and it was just this past year, um, is the value of burning a day of hunting in order to scout. Um, It was middle of the rut, and I thought I had this property completely, fully nailed down, and it was just becoming frustrating. I'm like, dude, all the deer, they're not doing what I thought they would be doing. They're not acting how I thought I'd be acting, but it's the middle of the rut. Like, I can't move. I can't change. I can't. And I told myself, I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I've boogered up enough deer in here. <laughs> um, so I'm going to back out for a week. And I was calling friends and like, dude, there was a couple, there was a, there was one, 180 plus deer in there. Mm. And they're like, dude, you can't, it's the middle of the rut. Dude, he could show up at any time. I'm like, I know, but I've boogered enough deer in there. So I'm going to pull out for a week. And I'm gonna let that let everything rest about this place. Let let the deer calm down, let them settle down. And then I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna spend two days up on top of the hill just watching. And so I burned, I, I didn't burn a full, I burned five days of no, not going out there at all, two days of sitting on the hill. So for seven days, I pulled out of this place and I sat on top of the hill the last two days. And then it was like a, a light switch. I'm like, they're all coming from there. And I couldn't see where they're coming from. So it looked like, anyways, I'm like, that's where they're coming from. That's where they're coming out at. And so I moved a blind, set it up, killed a buck the next night. It was just, and it was one of those lessons where it was like, dude, you have to be okay. I told myself, you have to be okay with burning a couple hunting days to scout. Because here's what happens is, especially my place in Oklahoma, I hunt with uh, Liberty Ranch Outfitters there in Oklahoma, 6,000 acres. 6,000 acres can become a lot to understand, especially when you're only there a few days a week um, or or a few days a year. And so I tell myself, I'm like, I got 10 days here. I got to go in and hunt. I got to hit it hard. I got to do things. And then the idea of burning a day is like outrageous. You're like, no, dude, I've only got 10 days here. (laughs) But how beneficial will the last nine days be or the last eight days be if you spend the first day or two scouting. How much more beneficial? It'll make it so less frustrating. It'll make it so less aggravating and 
the last eight days will be more beneficial than a full 10 days of trying to figure it out in a tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, would you rather burn three or four days scouting and, and have three or four really good hunts or would you rather sit there all week you know get to hunt every evening and and not see anything that 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 you want to shoot you know there's it's just uh it it's kind of give and take it's a sacrifice but uh, i think it's it's worthwhile now i do want to say because you made a good point there about about your scenario you know most of what i'm talking about here is based on my experience which is which is hunting typically large fairly large blocks of public land you can move around, you know, the guy that's only got, you know, maybe the 40 acres next door to hunt, it's going to be a different scenario. Obviously you don't want to get out there and be scouting that every day, you know, walking the entire 40 acres, um, necessarily looking, looking for fresh sign every single day. Uh, you're going to, you're going to blow the deer out of there. Uh, so you got to, you know, it, again, it's, it all depends on your circumstances in a right. situation like that. If you only have a small property or something then and you know the property then it's just more of of like you did there you sit back and wait for ideal conditions maybe and get in there and then strike when everything is is perfect and otherwise you might want to stay out of there oh that's absolutely. where it's nice to have that public land even if you got the small track you know i got 15 acres that i bought a couple of years ago that i hunt here right that my house is on but you know, that's just for when everything's right, a good buck might show up or whatever the case may be. I can get back there and try to kill it. But otherwise, you know, I'm out on public land, uh, Roman, Roman public land, finding new spots. And, and, you know, if you, if you booger up one area, I can just move on to the next. So yeah, it's all, all based on your, your circumstances. That's me more times than I like to admit, oh, I've messed <laughs> this place up. Let's go find a new one. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> uh, more times than I'd like to admit. Um, one thing I want to note too is when you're trying to get somebody involved in hunting, scouting is a great way to do that. Because, oh, yeah. you know, if I take my four-year-old out to sit in a blind, I'm like, dude, quit talking. Dude, quit moving. <laughs> dude, you got to quit quit eating your Cheetos. Quit. And, and I'm constantly telling him, we're not here to have fun. We're here to sit still and be quiet. And so he gets that negative in his mindset, a negative idea of hunting. Yeah. But if I take him out to scout and I take him out to find sheds and I take him out and I make a big deal about a scrape and I make a big deal about a rub and I make a big deal about tracks. Now my son will be walking anywhere and be like, dad, a deer track. Holy cow, dude, <laughs> look, a deer was right here. And I'm like, like I make a big deal about those things because then he's excited about scouting. He's excited about the idea of deer hunting. And so scouting is a great way uh, to get kids involved in the process of hunting. And then when you do take them hunting, it's like, remember, bud, we saw that scrape over here. So let's watch that area and maybe we'll see deer over there. And then they do. And they're like, oh, my gosh, dude, we saw deer over there. We saw a scrape over there. Now there's deer. And it just ties it all together for them. So oh, yeah. get kids involved in the scouting process. It will help them get involved in the hunting process. So uh, that's just a, a, a dad tip, I guess. Um, Brian, I ask every guest of mine, Fred Bear was big on his field notes. Um, he was big on, on sharing his field notes. And so I ask every guest, what's one field note you've learned over the years? What's one tip or trick that I can take and put in my back pocket and make myself a better deer hunter with? Oh, I guess... Uh... My big P from tip, a tree, huh? P from yeah, a my, tree. My big tip, because it was one that took me so long to learn myself, is to man to get get out of the pretty woods. Um, and and again, it's particularly for for public land hunters. But um, man, for so long, I wanted to hunt those big, pretty, mature hardwoods. Yeah, you know, that's where the deer are going to be. You know, it's dropping rain and acorns in here. Um, that, that that's where the deer are going to be. And I can see, I can get in here, I can see 200 yards in any direction. And man, when I learned to start getting away from that kind of stuff and getting tight to the cover uh, where these deer are actually spending their time, you know, where they're bedding and where they feel safe and secure, um, that's when my success really started going up. So that yeah. that's probably the one of the biggest things I would say for, for somebody new coming into it is just, you know, 
be where the deer want to be. And that's where you got to, that's where the scouting comes in is figuring out where the deer want to be. But um, it's not typically not in those wide open, pretty hardwoods, not, not during daylight hours anyway. Yeah. No, think about this. And we're going to talk about this more in the where to hunt episode. Um, but think about this. If you can see 200 yards in any direction, that means the deer can see 200 yards in, <laughs> in any direction. And that means the coyotes can see 200 yards in any direction. And the deer know the coyotes can see me better in this area. And the deer know that the hunters can see me better in this area. And the deer know I'm more vulnerable in this area. So think about it in that I, I always tell people, uh, think like a human. And they're like, what? And I'm like, think like a human. Like if I was being hunted, I'm not going to be standing out in the middle of the field where I can see for 400 yards in every direction. I'm going to be tucked away hiding. Um, If I'm being hunted, if I'm hungry, uh, where am I going to be? I'm going to be in the stinking food. If I'm cold, where am I going to be? I'm going to be snuggled up in a hole somewhere. So think like a human, and then it makes hunting way easier. And so um, absolutely, man, that uh, phenomenal tip. Um, My tip is pee from a tree. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That works too. Uh, kicking off the deer series. I got to start promoting it again, guys. Pee from your tree. Um, send me a picture of your dead deer after you pee from a tree. Um, Brian, thank you so much for coming on before we go. I got to give a quick shout out to my friends over at the John V mesh Memorial scholarship. I'm very picky about what nonprofits that I, that I promote and that I, um, support and the John V mesh Memorial scholarship is one of those. They hold events around the country to get kids involved in the outdoors. They also, uh, through those events, they're raising money to give a scholarship, uh, to a student every year who's looking to go into a conservation occupation. So I would highly recommend you to check out the John V mesh Memorial scholarship at johnvmesh.org. I would highly recommend you donate. If you know a student who's going into a conservation occupation, I would very highly recommend you to um, get the the applicant entered to win on their website uh, to win that scholarship because it's a phenomenal scholarship and help you pay for your schooling. What's better than that? So go check out the John V mesh Memorial scholarship at johnvmesh.org. Brian, Thank you so much for coming on, man. I greatly appreciate it. Guys, make sure and tune in next week for episode three where we talk about where to hunt Um, because like we've talked about, where we've scouted isn't always where we hunt and what we've scouted isn't always going to be what we hunt. So make sure and tune back in next week uh, to hear Brian Murphy, Jared Stubbs, and Josh Stubbs from Elevate Stand Company uh, when we talk about where to hunt. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thank you for listening. You guys have a fantastic week. Good luck this fall, as always. I would love to share in your success with you, so make sure and shoot your images, uh, your 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 harvest photos over to me on Instagram. You can email them to me. Send them to the Bear Archery page. Make sure I want to see those harvest photos, so send them in. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. <laughs>